I just want to thank the Sister Tran and the praise singers and the players of instruments, the men and women at the board, and Brother Anthony, our usher, and all that came before. We just want to give the Lord thanks for everyone tonight and for the people of God to be here. Thank you so much. Please be seated. And Sister Tran, are we ready to make a fool of ourselves as usual? We have this tradition, don't know if you want to call it that, but Sister Tran and I are trying to learn new songs or songs that we haven't sung in a long time to break the ice. There's one that is called It's Everything to Me. It's actually based on the scripture reference of Acts chapter 17 and 27. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he may, though he be not far from every one of us. Are you ready, Sister Trent? Who wants it? you want to push off or you want me to be the one to bell the cat? Stars is handiwork I see On the wind he speaks with majesty Though he ruleth over land and sea What is that to me? I will celebrate nativity for it has a place in history. Sure, he came to set his people free. What is that to me? Till by faith I met him face to face, and I felt the wonder of his grace. Then I knew that he was more than just a God who didn't care, who lived away up there. And now he walks beside me day by day, ever watching o'er me lest I stray, helping me to find the narrow way. He's everything to me. Let's put our hands to the Lord tonight. Thank you, Sister Trent, Sister Ellen, and all who participated. Thank you so much. And once again, welcome to our Sunday evening study. And... I'm Brother Vernon Shaw, and Pastor was away for a little while on his well-needed vacation. Don't know if you had welcomed him back yet, because I haven't been in his preaching yet. But could we put our hands together and give him a good welcome again? <laughs> and of course, his better half, Sister Tran. Could you put our hands together for Sister Tran? <laughs> Amen. Now, pastor is a student tonight, so once again, sorry, you have to put up with me. Uh, please confirm that you have this week's handout. The lesson is titled, And God Said, and it's subtitled, God's Concern for the Details. And while Brother Brown was speaking and talking about the details of his dream, I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that God just knows how to set things up. He does. Look at the details that he gave Brother Brown's dream. He depicted in Brother Brown's dream the details, stained glass windows, an Asian woman leading worship, and all the different things that were in the church. And then it turns out to be so. Amen? Amen. The so tonight, it's subtitled, God's Concern for the Details. And you should have two handouts. One is going to be an exercise, which we're going to be doing. 
and then the next one should have the top of page 45, your handout should consist mainly of questions which will require you to fill in the answers. The big idea of the series title, and God said, is that the implications of creation need to be considered by all of mankind. And the focus thought is, it is in the minuteness, in the smallness of God's care and attention that God's glory becomes evident. In other words, even though the world that he's created is so big, and it is, the universe is still expanding. However, what they're saying is it is in the minuteness of God's care and attention. In other words, in the same way that he showed Brother Brown the details of what was going to happen. It shows the minuteness of his care. He dots every I and he never leaves any T uncrossed. He is detail-oriented. And many of us who apply for jobs will perhaps come across that expression. They are looking for someone who is detail-oriented. Amen? That's our God. Let's pray that this lesson will accomplish its objective. Lord Jesus Christ, grant, O God, that you will use this lesson to help accomplish the objective that we will not think that in our smallness that we are so insignificant to you, but that no less than the sparrows, which are like a dime a dozen to you, that the very details of our lives matter to you, O oh God. They matter to you, Jesus. We remember what you said to Nathaniel, I saw you as you sat underneath that tree. And he was blown away that you noticed. Thank you for noticing us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the introduction, this lesson is actually by Let's see where I have his name written down. I have his name written down somewhere. It will come back soon. Jeremy Painter. Thank you very much. But where did you see that? Top of page 45. Hey, she should be teaching the lesson. Yes, so the lesson is actually written by Jeremy Painter. Thank you, sister. But his introduction was a little bit different. So I chose this instead. His eye is on the sparrow. And the writer of that song is Sevilla D. Martin. The composer is Charles, for the music, is Charles H. Gabriel. Gabriel. And it is based on, I will instruct the and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with, thine, with mine eye. And that's from Psalm number 38, 32, verse 8. And then from Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. And this is what is written in this book written by Robert J. Morgan. Most people have a hobby of some sort to provide a healthy diversion from the rigors of work. Long ago, there was a woodworker in Nazareth who counted bird watching among his diversions. We can make that assumption because Jesus later referred frequently to bird life in his sermons, saying things like, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Matthew 6, 26. Consider the ravens. Luke 12, 26. 
do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Luke 12, 7. It was this theme that caused the author of God's, God will take care of you. In other words, the same person, the same author that writes a song, God will take care of you. This theme led this person to write a year later another great hymn of God's care. His eye is on the sparrow. Sevilla Durfee Martin was a Canadian by birth, born on August 21st, 1869 in Nova Scotia. She became a school and a music teacher, but when she married Dr. Walter Martin, an evangelist, she gave up teaching to travel with him and assist in his meetings. This is, this is her account of writing the song. Early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on the bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me. The hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, was the outcome of that experience. And it goes like this. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the shadow sparrow and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. And the second verse, which we rarely hear, goes like this. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when song gives place to sighing, uh, when hope within me dies, I draw the Closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. That was the full extent of the song. But later on, they added, I sing because... Let's sing it together. I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches. Let's clap our hands to the Lord again. Now, Psalm number eight says, O Lord, our God, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. 
that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. You see, in the grandeur of what God has created, we can feel so insignificant and small, but the couple from Elmira, New York, reminds us his eye is on the sparrow. So we can never feel insignificant. Yes, he's created the heavens and the earth and everything in there. And when we stand here at, on night, on earth at, at night, and look up and we feel so dwarfed. Ever been to into New York City? And when you're looking up at those skyscrapers, you have to do like this. You feel so dwarfed, so insignificant, like you don't matter. And this passage of scripture strikes two distinct chords. First, the psalmist praises the creator's grandeur, which stretches beyond even the glory of the heavens. And second, he wonders why God, who clearly has better things to do, concerns himself at all with something as insignificant as humanity. When put together, these two ideas form a paradox. Brother Anthony, I'm going to pick on you. What is a paradox, Brother Anthony? Wake up. I know you're not sleeping, but I'm just picking on you. Brother, Brother Anthony, could you tell us what a paradox is? Go ahead. They come together, but. It's like a contradiction. Yeah, they're coming together, but they're contradicting each other. Brother Lou, could you give us an example of a paradox? It's like she's saying, I'm so happy I could just cry. And men can't understand women. Because women are like paradoxes. If she's so happy, why is she going to cry? It, <laughs> that's a paradox. Because crying and being happy just don't go together. They are contrary to each other, supposedly. So that's a paradox. And not only women cry when they're happy. Hey, when I got the Holy Ghost, I cried. I was so happy. I still do. So, and I still remember Franklin, what's his name, song. When he was singing, he said, sometimes you're even crying, and you don't even know the reason why. I sing because I'm happy. I sing that same song. So it's a paradox. One of the paradoxes that we have in Scripture is when Jesus says, I am the beginning and the ending. That's a paradox. Or he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. The root is at the bottom. The offspring comes from out of him. So how can he be the root and the offspring of David at the same time? That's a paradox. Amen? So now that we know the meaning of Sister Ellen was saying before to me, Brother Vernon, I have to, I have to sign tonight and I have to sign for someone who has vocabulary that is that is just too big. And then I realized she was talking about me. But the lesson, sister, is not mine. So we have to understand some of the words we're using. So that's what a paradox is. So when put together, these two ideas form a contradiction, a paradox. The very vastness and beauty of the universe can actually lure. Is that the proper pronunciation, Sister Shira? I think you're trying to teach me to say that word two Wednesdays ago. Lore. <laughs> Except that word was allure, right? Allure. I'm trying to speak Americanese. Sorry, American. <laughs> okay, so where am I? So, when put together, these two ideas form a paradox. The very vastness and beauty of the universe can actually lure the human mind into misunderstanding, a misunderstanding about its creator. It is, what do you think that 
misunderstanding is. What is that misunderstanding that we may have as human beings about the Creator? The misunderstanding is this, that because He's so big and great and so many things are happening all over the universe, He's too busy and big for such as me. It is easy to assume that God is too great and mysterious to, at mysterious to attend to small matters. But this kind of thinking is distinctly human. If a man is very busy and very important, if he is famous and rubs shoulders every day with the best and the brightest, then he will have little or no time for the blue-collar worker who sends him a letter of complaint or appreciation. Or if a pastor becomes a bishop, sometimes his family may begin to suffer. Not because of the pastor, but because people may think that because he's now a bishop, his family are not as important as those poor souls somewhere else. But God is not like that. Now, like David, we look to the grandeur of heaven, the celestial lights, the staggering distance from here to there, and then project our limitations onto God. In other words, because when we become promoted and become, we start getting up into the echelons of high society, we are no longer on the floor, we are now in a cubicle. Then we're in an office. Then we're in a corner office. Then we're in a penthouse somewhere in New York City. Because we see ourselves as so important and that our position now befits people of importance. So we stop looking to our families, our friends, and all those people that we're usually acquainted with. And our eyes are now on those people who we are at the same level with. So we assume because this is how we are, we assume that this is how God is. But God is not like that. Can we all know what it is like to feel unimportant? But we make a mistake about God when we infer from the grandness of the universe that he too must have better things to do than have anything to do with such as us. So the question is, can you share a time in your life when you felt unimportant? It's insignificant as if you don't matter. We're just going to wait until somebody decides to say something. You see, I don't particularly like the sound of my voice. And if I keep talking, I'm going to fall asleep. So is there anyone here who is willing to put their neck on the block to talk about a time when they felt insignificant? Maybe it was a time when you went to New York City and you felt dwarfed by all those tall buildings, all the time you went to the White House.
you said that was one time. It only happened once. Never happened again. I'm saying that because you would need to be complimented if all this time in your short life of 500 years, you have only felt unimportant and insignificant once. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm looking for some a scripture that I printed out and I can't find it. I am so besides myself. But let's go to the book of John. Is brother Justin, book of John, brother Justin, John chapter 4. The gospel. Thank you, brother Anthony, for being so transparent. The scripture that I used to remind myself when I started feeling insignificant is, Know ye that the Lord is God, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. So whenever I start feeling unimportant and insignificant, that's the scripture I use to remind myself that, hey, I was made by God. Yes, sir. Psalm 100, verse number three. Yeah. <laughs> Bro brother, John chapter four, please. First, I'm sorry, the gospel of John chapter four, verse number, starting at verse number one. I lost my bearings. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that John made and baptized more disciples than John. Verse 2, please. Verse 3. He left Judea and departed again. Verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Take note of that verse. He must needs go through to Samaria. Okay, verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaritans called Sychar, near the, to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, seven. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me the drink. Verse 8. For his disciples were gone. Verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked Drink of me, which I'm a woman of Samaria. Brother Anthony, is she feeling insignificant and unimportant or what? Is she? Yeah. Right, sister? Is she? She's not sure. Well, who was she? Yeah. True, true, that's a point. But listen to it again. Says, How is it that you being a Jew, ask us drink of me, which I'm a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It's not that the Samaritans didn't have dealings with the Jews. The Jews didn't have dealings to deal with them. So they would feel less important if they had self-confident and other such issues. But but do you remember what that first scripture verse said? He must needs go through Samaria. And guess who he came to Samaria for? This woman who is feeling so unimportant, so insignificant. She is a woman. She's a Samaritan. She is... She feels as if she's nobody. Amen? 
So let's continue, brother, from verse number 10, I think. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee, gave me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So as insignificant as she was, the very God of creation left where he was, came looking for her. All right, Brother Justin, let me find exactly where we need to be next. Oh, continue going, 12. If that's not, we'll just continue. Continue, 13, 14, 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. 16. Go call thy husband. Go call thy husband. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. She has a history. He's going to know about me now. Uh, next, brother. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Now, here's what we're talking about. The details. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Verse 18. For thou hast had how many husbands? And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So he knows her. And even though he knows her, he went looking for her. All the more reason why he needed to find her. Was he looking for her to condemn her? Nope. He wanted to give her living water. Amen? So, the God who knows the details, who has built this entire everything that we can see, hear, feel, touch, and the very mechanisms with which we use to hear, see, feel, touch. He's not into the details to show off on us. That he knows everything. Like sometimes I used to do as a customer service person. When they call me, I just rattle off the information that I know to prove to them that I know the product and they have called the right person. Showing off the details of what I know. Or sometimes when I'm supposed to be teaching, I'm here boasting about all the different things that I know in the scripture. God is not like that. He has the details to prove to us that he cares for us. Those are what the details are important for. That he cares for us. Right, Brother Mike? What were you thinking? Go ahead. Share it with us. You were thinking something, Brother Mike. It's private. So, if I could find my place again. So the truth is, it is not just in the vastness of the universe that we see the vastness of God. It is instead in the minuteness of God's care. And here's a word for your sister Ellen. Infinitesimal details. That's not my word, it's in, it's in the script infinitesimal details. In other words, on one side you have infinite meaning no ending. And on the other end, infinitesimal meaning so small all the way down. Anybody saw the movie Ant-Man? Or read the comics? The, the science behind it, they were talking about how you could shrink something all the way down. And this is what we're talking about. Infinitesimal details of creation that should impress us most is the fact that God cares for us. Amen? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to be here much longer, so you should have gotten a handout which says, Sunday evening lesson, God's concern for details, exercise. Do you have that? 
You have pencil? Let's do this exercise. The question is, do you consider yourself a detailed person? Why or why not? Everybody has the thingy? So, do you consider yourself a detailed person? Below are two sets of scriptures listed, one and two. One set is correct, the other is incorrect. The incorrect scriptures are misquotations by one, a religious cult organization, two, Satan, and three, a popular worship song. According to the movie Mission Impossible, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to find the difference between the scriptures one and two and confirm which ones are correct. So that's the first mission. Then complete the following popularly quoted verse. Study to show thyself approved, a work, approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And finally, find a word in the following scripture that could be interpreted as about being detailed. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So come, let's see how detailed we are. So let's start right now. And we're going to take, is Eleazar here? Where is Eleazar? I should say Brother Eleazar. Okay. Let's take five minutes. So the first one, the incorrect scriptures are misquotations by a religious cult organization. Anyone is able to identify which one that is? I see Sister Maria's hand. Which one is that one, Sister Maria? John 1, 1 is wrong. Which one is wrong? Okay, could you read the wrong one and then read the right one, please? So that's wrong. Okay, now, now, now. Okay, and not only the word A, but also the small g. Okay, all right, so everybody notice that? Everybody? Uh, Brother Lou, did you notice that? Okay, could you show Brother Sean it for me, please? Sean is... Okay. Now, Sister Maria, how can you confirm this, Lou? You did? Okay. Because, because guess what? The, science, the mission is to confirm. So I got to be sure that you confirmed it. Amen? Wonderful. Amen. Okay, next one. Who's, who, the next one is a misquotation by Satan. Who can identify that one? Don't be shy. Or I might have to bring the mic down there. <laughs> Hold on, Sister Ellen. You, you're cheating. She told you the answer. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Okay, Sister Ellen, could you... Treat the second one first, please. No, the wrong way first. Uh-huh, first. Uh-huh. Who said that? And he said, he shall, because Sister Ellen can't see it so well. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hand they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Brother Justin, could you put up Psalm 91 verse, what verse is it, Sister Ellen? 11. 11. I can't see it either. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the whole idea, I use that font to make sure that we have to really look to see what we're doing. <laughs> pastor, how are you working? Is it working out for you, Pastor? <laughs> I didn't think so. It's not working out for me either. <laughs> okay, so here it is now. So what's the correction here? 
for he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Yes, so that part is missing from the devil's misquotation. Amen? Amen? Okay, the third one. The bottom one is wrong? Okay, so read the wrong one, Sister Tran, first. Brother Justin, could you put up Romans 8? What verse is it, Sister? 7? Verse 1. <laughs> could you put up Romans? Yes, read it for us now, Sister Tran. Amen. 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 Okay, so then complete the following popularly quoted verse. What's missing? Unto God. So what should it say? A workman that maketh needeth not to be ashamed, rightly. Dividing the word of truth. Let me ask you a question. If God is such a detail-oriented person, do you realize what it means to study to show ourselves approved unto God? Do we understand what that really means? If God is a detail-oriented person, and we are supposed to study ourselves to show to study to show ourselves approved unto God. What does that tell us? He's the one we're trying to please, and we're important to him, and we have to get it right. Yeah. We have to get it right. We have to get it right. And that's the reason why it was so important for us to catch what the difference between what Satan said and what the scriptures said. Because that was the same thing again that happened in the garden. So we must study to show ourselves. We must be detailed because God is detailed. And if we are showing ourselves approved unto God who is detailed... We have to get into the details. Amen? Okay. So, finally, find the word in the following scripture that could be interpreted as being about detail. What word is that one? I'm sorry, sister. I can't hear you. You're talking to yourself? Okay. Could you talk to us too, please? <laughs> That, yeah, it's right. So which word would you interpret for detail? Pastor, you said it? Diligently. Yeah. So let's keep that scripture up there now. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him yes it's right but what we want to draw attention to is that word diligent meaning that we cannot gloss over anything when seeking after God for example so you got the Holy Ghost so when are you going to get baptized in Jesus name or you have repented of your sins. When are you going to get baptized? We have to be Rebecca. Sister Rebecca, I should say. Go ahead, ma'am. You have our undivided attention. 
Well, maybe your mother could say it for you. You don't know what she's thinking. Yes, brother. I'm sorry. She's going to get baptized? You're saying she is, and I'm saying I'm seeing she's going like this. Oh, she's going like this. Well, let's put our hands together. She's getting baptized this weekend. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I asked the right question, right? <laughs> you got the Holy Ghost, so when are you going to be baptized? Next weekend. Okay. All right. So, so, so the bottom line is, the bottom line is we are seeking after God. We are seeking for God. And we are missing out some very, very salient details. And we are wondering why things are not happening in our lives the way that it happened in the scriptures. Because the people in the scriptures were dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Brother Tony. One of the things I've been noticing in corporate life is the emphasis on speed. Yeah. Everybody wants everything yesterday. Now, I did work term experience at a large computer firm in Canada. They had something called first touch, only touch. They have a new name for it now. I don't remember what it is. I think it's continuous improvement. Back then it was called something continuous improvement, but it's still the same thing. First touch, only touch. In other words, if you don't have time to do it once, how are you going to find time to do it again? You see what I'm saying? So their idea is you first touch, only touch. You touch it once, you make sure you touch it right, you don't have to touch it again. So you have to give attention to it. You have to focus on what you're doing. We cannot, multitasking is a farce, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Multitasking is a farce. It's a pretense. Not even computers multitask. Because they have something that is called, I don't know if there are any computer engineers in here, but there's something that is called multi-threading. What they do is they split time up. And it makes it look like you're doing several things at the same time. But because the time is so short between each, it looks like they're happening at the same time. They are not doing everything at the same time. Multitasking is a farce. And so because we spend so much time doing so many different things, we are losing the details. And this is the reason why we are losing out sometimes in our walk with God. Because we are losing the details. I'm going to be finishing in a moment. Let's go, well, we're going to finish by saying that 
Job, sick and tired, destitute and forsaken, cried to any who would hear. His friends insisted he deserved every affliction he had experienced. Job, however, ins insisted on his innocence and wished God would bring him to trial. If God judged him, Job believed God would exonerate him. But God didn't seem interested in justifying Job. And we're going to read some quotations from Job, chapter 23. I would find out what he would answer me. This is Job talking about God now. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I will be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Job 23, 5 to 9, 24 and 1. NJV. What's NJV, Sister Ellen? NJV. That's what it says here. Or is it, it's NIV. <laughs> Pastor, I may need to borrow your glasses. <laughs> NIV, Sister Ellen's favorite version. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm sorry, Brother Steve. I didn't mean it. I was just joking. That's, I know, I know what you mean. One of Job's friends then replied, Dominion and awe belong to God. Amen? Okay. He establishes order in the heights of, hev of heaven. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does his light not rise? How can a mortal be righteous before God? Job 25, 2-4, NIV. In other words, and this is, what's his name again, Sister Shara? Jeremy Painter's opinion. In other words, Jeremy Painter is saying, Bildad wants Job to know that Job has no business demanding justice from God. That God has better things to do than rush to the aid of a lowly human being. When both Job and Bil what both Job and Bildad did not realize was at that time Job was the very center of God's attention. Job's life was a great source of irritation for Satan. And God had rested his entire case upon Satan, against Satan upon Job's righteousness. Job didn't know it, but at the very moment when God fell farther away than he had ever seemed before, God was actually closer to Job than God had ever been. All of eternity had turned its eyes upon Job, and the suffering man had become a one-man act. Satan assumed that human beings... Like us, these little creatures, God, for some unknown reason, cared so much about, only remained faithful to God as long as God continued to bless and protect them. That's what Satan was trying to prove. But once God allowed them to suffer, men would show their true colors. God's rebuttal then rested upon Job. In other words, Job was the one being used to prove that Satan was wrong. But you know, we know that when we're reading the scriptures, it's not about those people that we're reading about, right? 
So the book of Job is no more about the book of Job. My name is Job, and I'm in that circumstance. Your name is Job when you're in that circumstance. And if you're in that circumstance, your name is Job. And you can prove God right and prove Satan wrong. The insignificance we often feel stands in stark contrast to the pride. I don't like that word. God does not have pride. Stands contrast to the delight God takes in us. God has no pride. It's delight. This insignificance we often feel stands in stark contrast to the delight God takes in us, his children. What is a man that God is mindful of us? It's hard to say exactly, but God's behavior towards us, not only in his response to Satan's charge, but also in the fact that he became a man himself and shows us how he loves us. Brothers and sisters, everybody knows John 3.16. Let me ask a question. If you have a thousand dollars and you use it to buy a car, what meant more to you, the thousand dollars or the car? Right? If you have a thousand dollars and you take that one thousand dollars and buy a car, it means the car means more to you than a thousand dollars because you have used your thousand dollars to purchase the car. Amen? Romans 8.32 says, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own Son, whom he loves so much. You love your $1,000 so much, but you took it to buy a car. God loves his son so much that he took him to buy us. So who is of greater value to God? He took what is most beloved for him and bought us. And if that doesn't make you want to burst into tears, nothing else will because I'm about to burst into tears right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do we have value or what? We do, right? Solomon Song of Solomon 8 says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thy arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave, the cause thereof are cause of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contempt. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to the end, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, if only they could come to understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love that God has for us. He's not about stars 
except that he made them for us. A lot of times we think that because he made everything else first and us last, we were the last thing on his mind. No. He made everything else first for us. We're, if he didn't make light, how could we see? If he didn't make water first, what would we drink? If he didn't make time first, how would he be able to end day and night? If he didn't make food, what would we eat? If he didn't make air, what would we breathe? He left us for last as the pierce de resistance. I don't know if my French is fine, but that's when you go to a French restaurant and they bring out the best at the end. Just like when Jesus turned the water into wine and they said, everybody else serves the, the in Jamaica we say, the dibby dibby wine first. But you have left the best for last. And who did he create last? People. But specifically who? No, be very specific. Yes, who was created last? Woman. Yep. But there was still another creation after that woman. What was it called? The church. He left the best for last. Let us stand, everybody. David must have come to his senses 131 Psalms later in Psalm number 139. In Psalm number 8, he talks about what is man that, ma that God should be mindful of him. Well, in Psalm number 139 and 14, he says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Brothers and sisters, God will Take care of me through every day. He will take care of you. God will take care of you because he knows everything. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we are just so thankful to you, my God. You know everything about us. And when you say we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. My God, you have already set it aside. Lamentation 3 reminds us, oh God Almighty, if it were not for the mercies of God, we would have been consumed, for they are new every morning. Oh God Almighty, how that you loved us. That's what the song says. Oh, how you love us. God Almighty, like Paul is praying for the Ephesian church, if ever, oh God, we could get to that place where we could only glimpse how much you deeply, truly love us. That we are the apple of your eye. We are your beloved. The precious blood of Jesus Christ was used to purchase us. My God, help us appreciate you, Jesus Christ, as you appreciate us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. <laughs> Hermana Margarita, bienvenida a la casa de Dios en New Britain. Thank you, Sister Margarita, for being here. Welcome. 
And it's a pleasure to see you. And Brother Caesar, thank you for being here. Thank the people of God for being here. See you on Wednesday for Bible study. Pastor is teaching on the life of Joseph.